Hello and welcome to Inside the Therapy Room. I'm your host, Sam Sellers. I'm a registered therapist, a wife and a fur mama, and I am passionate about breaking down the barriers and stigma attached to therapy. I want to begin by honouring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. Today, Mike is in Noongar country and Sam is on Gundungurra land. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations people. We must always remember that the land below our feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today we are chatting to Mike Keady. Mike is a counsellor from Perth who uses video games and tabletop role-playing games in individual and group therapy and provides education to clinicians on the use of pop culture to understand clients' own personal journeys. Mike is an OzPath member and an LGBTQIA plus supportive counsellor. Tune in to hear Mike share why using pop culture can be so effective. We talk about the benefits for neurodivergent folk. We discuss the controversy that can surround video games, what it's like inside his therapy room and what myth he would love to smash. We hope you enjoy joining us inside the therapy room. Welcome. It is so nice to have you. Your episode, I am very excited about because it is unlike I guess anybody else's in that you use popular culture gaming all you know you sort of self-profess the nerd therapist yeah yep it's the name (laughs) (laughs) so I guess you know these are, are typically things that people would not necessarily associate with therapy which I love. I love when people think out the box and involve things that are a little bit off the beaten track. So I love that. Tell us a little bit about how you work, the types of things that you utilize. Well, I, it comes down to the person because I use a few different approaches and Mm -hmm. styles, but at the end of the day, I see it as horrifically pretentious as this is going to sound. I see this is kind of, I got told during my degree, you know, meet your clients where you are. Cool, I will. Where are you? I'm in Star Wars. Wicked, let's do it. So I, you know, someone will, I'll get a referral. I'll be like, you know, they really love Minecraft. I'm like, sweet, let's play Minecraft. Or I've got like a teenager who doesn't have like their group of people and they love fantasy stuff. I'm like, wonderful. I run the role for growth program which uses D for group therapy let's work mm-hmm. on that social anxiety while we're playing a game with a group of people that also don't have their people yeah and it's about creating at least like one piece of social connection for people who maybe don't have it mm-hmm. because in in a weird way you know we've seen this rise of nerd culture Mm-hmm. And now you can like go to the shops and you can like get D and D stuff or like really nerdy stuff at just at any given shop. Mm-hmm. But there's still that stigma to being too nerdy or too into Star Wars or too into superhero stuff. So you still have like these these kids or these young people or even these adults who don't have like their group of people. Yeah. So creating these social opportunities, you know, we create we run so I run uh tabletop role-playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons but because of concerns around like the business ethics of big businesses and also that Dungeons and Dragons tells a specific kind of story it's a fantasy story mm-hmm. whereas other people may not vibe with fantasies we were like a Star Wars story or a cyberpunk story or a vampire story which use other games yeah I love- so I tailor the well, like like any of us do we tailor the intervention, the client experience to what we believe or what the evidence suggests would be good for them. So for some people, it's we play a video game to alleviate the anxiety of a straight up converse, confrontational conversation. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the time for young people, if they're one on one with an adult, it's because they've done something wrong. 
or the adult isn't happy with them for some reason. So yeah. we play a game as an attention breaker. And some games have quite therapeutic goals that we can work on mm-hmm. simultaneously. Other people may need more social supports. <clears throat> so we run the social group. I run the social groups. And then there's there's the comfort of knowing that your therapist is going to get your references, mm. which is pretty handy without having to explain like uh, a specific reference to a scene in Avatar The Last Airbender mm-hmm. or people tying their experiences back to the stories they know, which is the point of mythology. Yeah is connecting our experiences to stories so we can relate to each other. And it's nice, it's an unexpected aside. I did not expect, well, I didn't expect any of this to be where it is now, but I didn't expect the parents to be as into it as they are, because it's cool for the parents to know that their young person's working with someone who gets it, and also isn't going to judge the parent for letting like their kid watch weird cartoons or play video games. The amount of young people I get, actually, the amount of people I get, because adults as well, that have been ridiculed or dismissed or not not quite degraded, but people have been just poorly treated by clinicians when they say, oh, I like video games. Like, oh, well, that's your problem. It's very, it's still a highly stigmatized form of um, recreation. Yeah. And it's comfortable for people, but especially parents, mm. to know that like the the person they the young person seeing isn't gonna give them the business for it. Mm. Yeah, I and there is still, you know, I will still get parents who will come into my room and will go, you know, we can't get them off the video games. They're just spending hours and hours. And so there is always this notion in society that screens or technology or video games or fantasy is somehow damaging for our young people. And we know that it's not necessarily as clear cut as that. It's nothing is ever that simple. So I would imagine that it would, yeah, it would be a refreshing perspective for a lot of parents. It should have been clear to me when it happened, but my first mental health role was in... 2019 through to 2021, I was working at a primary school mm-hmm. and one of the students comes up to me and he makes a reference to the Pokemon game that was at us, uh, or Pokemon Sword and Shield were out at the time. Yeah. And he, he said, I can't remember what exactly was said, but he mentioned uh, his difficulty with uh, a thing. I'm like, oh, I've been playing that too, but yeah. I didn't choose that starter. I chose the fire starter. I always play the fire type Pokemon. And he just looks and I get dragged, like not, not physically, but like, come with me. Yeah. And he drags me to the, to the front of the school to meet his mom. And he's like, oh. Mike knows Pokemon. And I'm like, oh, what a really beautiful moment. And it was a series of little moments like that that made yeah. me realize that like, this is not a thing young people get to experience. And I, I didn't as a kid. Absolutely. I didn't have any adults around me who played video games. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, I have this very firm belief that as a therapist, I I don't want my clients to ever feel like they have to educate me. And so it's so, it's such a big thing for people to be able to have somebody who understands the things that are important to them and particularly yeah. things that are often used as coping strategies or management tools to deal with anxiety or to deal with depression and and things like that so I'm assuming that what drew you to this space is your own love for these things it was an accident (laughs) I was was in a mood and that's a recurring theme with me (laughs) uh so I'll I'll set a scene uh it was 2020 it was September I grabbed so I graduated February 2020 and then had a little break. I had a little uh, break. I went on a holiday after I graduated. And I came back a week before we locked down. And there was a, oh. and the thing is, I didn't know anything about what was going on because I didn't take my phone with me on my holiday. Right. I'm in the, the Canadian mountains and I don't have a phone. And I get back and I'm like, hey, oh why are there really God. scary signs at the airport? 
Did you then have to go into mandatory hotel quarantine? I got back a week before, but I'm a homebody, so I basically did anyway. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So I start my practice in, I started my practice when we were in lockdown, because I'm like, I don't know how long this is going to last. Yeah. I don't know how much help people are going to need. But I'm a newly graduated counsel with a love for DBT. Let's do this. So mm-hmm. I start up a practice and it's at, at the risk of attacking almost every other therapist out there. It used a lot of gray, used a lot of browns and greens, had a lot of earth tones. And I talked a lot about like mindfulness and ACT, <laughs> which was fine. But the Facebook algorithm didn't like it. Oh. Uh, so I got really nowhere within a few months because it's just white noise yeah. in the field of like mental health. Yeah. But I'm I'm in one of the groups. I'm in a lot of therapy Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one of the groups, one day, someone asks, hey, what's Minecraft? And there yeah. were a lot of, like, okay responses. And as someone who played a lot of Minecraft, I'm like, yeah, okay. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of like digital Lego, except also you can build stuff and interact with it. So you can, like, make a farm, or you can build a castle, or you can get this stuff called Redstone, which lets you do electronics and you can code stuff. And it was recently that this guy made a redstone circuit that would let you play Minecraft in Minecraft, which was really funny. Oh, wow. Um, Because it's all just electronics at the end of the day. Yeah. It was really funny. So I was sharing this stuff. And then I think nothing of it. Cool. Help people with like my nerdy stuff. The next day I I see a similar post on the same group. What's Pokemon? And I'm like, here's my time to shine because all the answers are terrible. Uh, a lot of the answers are like, oh, it's an animal fighting game enjoyed by children. Oh my gosh. Um, it was so disingenuous. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I like, look, Pokemon is a, I gave like a three page essay in Facebook comments of like, <laughs> Pokemon is about like these animals that exist in the world with us that are kind of sentient, but also, also animals at the same time. And then magic, but kind of not really. Yeah. And, we live with them and they're friends and they enjoy like fighting with each other, but in a friendly way that like being knocked out is the worst thing that could happen <laughs> unless you're a terrible human being and then your Pokemon might die because you neglect it. Mm-hmm. And it's all these themes and like throwing in the quote from the Pokemon movie, the first Pokemon movie, which is like I see now that the differences of birth should not be what separate us as people and it is truly what we do with the gift of life that defines who we are and mm-hmm. it's some like civil rights era quality quote about like equality yeah. and it was beautiful and i'm just sharing all this stuff and people are like wow this is cool yeah and then the next day so there's three days on the third day there's what there's a post about Fortnite. oh goodness which is a real it's it's controversial i, I mean that's a very hot in, topic like, <laughs> it is it even in gamer circles like because it's I don't like their business practices. Yeah. Uh, um, I can't deny it, but I also feel like they get hated because they're popular mm. and a lot of kids play it and we find that that's a thing that just draws a lot of heat for no reason. Yeah. And I go, okay, look. Remember the Hunger Games? Yeah. Just remember, like, imagine how popular that was with everyone. Yes. Let's conceptualize this as a video game. Yeah. And remember how much everyone in this group was probably into it. And then explain that. And then I'm sitting there one day and I'm like, I'm there's a post about what is Pokemon again. I'm, like, I'm not doing this with that. I'm not doing this again. Uh so I make a website. Uh yeah. I called it The Nerd Therapist. And I started writing articles. I was smashing out one a day, and it was of it started Pokemon, Fortnite, Minecraft, and then went to like a brief rundown of Star Wars, and then a brief like uh, Roblox, Dungeons and Dragons, the Civilization series, and then just specific. I uh, did specific character bios. Like here's one for De- I think they did one for Deadpool. Oh uh, yeah, and then The Mandalorian because season two was coming out, mm-hmm. and just picking up stuff. Like here's the thing you need to know. And it was just a one-on-one thing for parents and professionals. Like, here's what you need to know. And here's how you could use this in conversation. And I did not attach my name to it. I just created this anonymous website. And every, okay, every other day, I was like, hey, I found this cool resource. You should Mm -hmm. check it out. Yeah. And it exploded. And I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. 
the page was getting messages from people with like letters after their name and job <laughs> titles and like people who like uh teach teach like the clinical psychology at universities yeah. like yeah. hey uh what does this pokemon mean and i'm like mm, yeah to tell you or not to tell you that this is the trans rights pokemon and just going on about all this stuff and after about after four more days i got a job offer oh wow uh of these people seeing my page and like we don't we're not sure who you are but can we have a phone call we want to talk about some work mm. and they wanted me to move like across wa and start doing it i'm like i can't uproot my family to a country town during lockdown but yeah. thank you for the offer or during it wasn't lockdown but like during like still being in containment being mm. really weird and everything after about six weeks of running this anonymous blog i'm like no nah, okay i've spent more time on this than my actual practice yeah uh let's combine the two so i rebranded that website uh from the nerd therapist into pop culture competence mm-hmm because that that was my that was my thesis idea is looking at nerdy stuff as through the lens of cultural competence mm. and then rebranded my uh counseling practice from counseling with mike to counseling with mike the nerd therapist yeah and then i did some research into like D because uh a season i think a season of stranger things had come out or was not long about to come out Mm-hmm. so i'm like okay did an article and while writing the article i found uh you know news articles about like people doing it for group therapy i'm like let's do that yeah and just kind of rode the dopamine i love it and started learning and applying research and figuring yeah. myself out and just let it all cascade i mean it's so great because there is just so few things like this to use what is current what is popular what people are enjoying that we generally just see as pure enjoyment as something that actually could be enjoyable but also meaningful and helpful and all of those things I think it's great it's it's really interesting because I have met people and this is going to sound peculiar to a lot of your listeners I've met people from the Jedi religion Mm who are wholeheartedly not like devotees of the force it's not because it's the force isn't real um who don't don't believe star wars is real it is follow some of the ideological tenets in the movie and the expanded star wars content of this ideology of let's work on ourselves and do better so we can do something good for the world that we live in yeah yeah, I think that and, you know you have we can people. learn things out of you know we can learn out of anything realistically you know I have clients who do the same sort of thing but with uh, with literature that they're reading or things oh, like yeah. that and you take concepts out of things that we just naturally enjoy for entertainment and we can learn yeah. from it and and use it so yeah. I mean, the purpose of storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. There's the best one I found that I immediately had to recreate uh, when I was working in a school uh, was okay. To preface this question, have you seen the Avengers movies? Oh, multiple times. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. So you know, for for your viewers who may not, uh, so for your viewers who may not, and not not to like do the mansplaining thing, but just for the ease of access to like the people watching yeah. at home. There is a hammer, Thor's hammer, in the Avengers series is Mjolnir, and Mjolnir is enchanted with magic so that it can only be lifted or used by anyone who is worthy to wield it, and is worthy in the eyes of Thor's father, Odin, uh, which is a whole thing. And in the fourth Avengers movie, Thor is incredibly depressed and grieving and traumatized, and he is, like, just, it's tragic through his entire story arc of that movie. He's just, you can tell this man spent like five years in a hole grieving like the most terrible things that could happen to people, some of the most terrible things that could happen to a person. And he looks at the hammer in a scene and he picks it up and he just realizes in this moment that despite everything terrible that had happened and how he'd responded to it, he was still worthy to pick it up. Yeah. And I saw a friend of mine who was a tattoo artist within like a week of that movie coming out had made still worthy tattoos for people. Oh, 
wow. And I'm like, that's I I have a hoodie with it written on it because they were selling them and I had to buy it because it's that perfect intersection of nerdy stuff and work stuff for me mm. is this this moment where he realizes like no matter how depressed and how traumatized and how down he was over what happened to him and his people, he mm. was still worthy and it didn't affect his influence. It didn't affect his value. Yeah. Amazing. But I mean, Marvel is sort of, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a particular nerdy type of person, but um, Marvel and Doctor Who tend to be my two wheelhouses. Um, yeah, that's and, fair. and I've often talked about, you know, the superheroes in the Avengers and things like that, you know, and used Hulk as a reference for, you know, emotional regulation and, and all of that sort of yeah. thing. There's just so much potential there um, that I think it often, it just gets missed. I think it's really easy to think oh, it's just entertainment, but it's, there's, yeah. so much, there's so much content there that can be utilised that people are already, kids in particular and teenagers are already connecting with. So let's use what they're already connected to rather than trying yeah. to thrust something in front of them that is completely foreign. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And you know what you have, I think there's not a, there aren't many people you could talk to where you could go, what book means a lot to you? Yeah. Or what story? And then, but you, you, you drill that down because not, not everyone can read or not everyone has access to books. Yeah. You're okay. What story means a lot to you? It's the same question, but multimedia. So you could talk about like the video games that meant a lot to you or what characters you relate with. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that can be done in that sphere of like, how does this, in, in that most horrifically cliche therapist line, it's like, how does this make you feel? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And characterization is something that's really easy for people to conceptualize, you know, because we do so much character stuff with movies and books and tv shows it's really easy for people to sort of understand that concept and i mean i tell you the amount of people who talk about sheldon cooper for people who don't know sheldon cooper is in the tv show the big bang theory who yeah is very obvious is on the spectrum and has a lot of beautiful quirks that make him very unique but he is a very unique character. But the amount of people that identify with him and often in the show is painted as quite an annoying character and at times, you know, frustrating to be around. So many people are connecting. And I think, I mean, just even last week, I think I had like five clients bring him up. Like it's just he's a very relatable character, I think, for some people. That's- that's interesting for a show that's been over for as long as it has. I know. Because I am, I'm, fun fact, not a fan. Um, wow. No, uh, not not at all a fan. Partly. I feel like I that's more controversial there, part than of Fortnite. <laughs> well, I've, I've got some, I've got, a, I've got a lot of notes, but one of, yeah. one of the notes is for a show being about what it says it's about, they get so much wrong. Yes. <laughs> and that's that's what annoys me because I yeah. that's one of the things that annoys me. Part of the other thing is like, oh god, they're all terrible. Yes. Especially in because my I've got a I know people re-watching it at the moment and I'm like, Sheldon is horrifically sexist in the first couple of seasons. Oh, and I'm like, wow. Yes. I mean they all are, to be honest. All of but the, ve- the yeah, four yeah, male leads, they all are, but Oh. Uh, yes. No, no. no. <laughs> Three are sexist, one's a predator. Let's just not. Oh, if, yes. if you know, if oh, you yeah. Howard Wolowitz in real life, unfriend them. Oh, just yes. stop. That person is, he's horrible. Absolutely. No. Yeah. Not a fan. Yes. Ugh. But I, I mean, I think it's really interesting because we all, you know, so many of the TV shows that all came out around the same sort of era have so much. There's so many things that are problematic about some of the storylines. Yeah characterization that, but that late thousands period mm. was a weird transitional period of like the 90s is over let's yes. just have like wildly transphobic stuff in the storyline yes but also let's let's push other boundaries and yeah. then you get just some of the stuff that was coming out then like looking back it's like this wasn't that long ago i know 
my wife and I recently rewatched. <laughs> she, well, I rewatched. She had never seen it, um, but we yeah. we watched Two Broke Girls, which is oh, a yeah. wi- wildly <laughs> funny show. But there is so much problematic with it. So many transphobic, so many racist jokes. And it's just like you sort of, I loved it. And I'm sitting there rewatching it going, oh, that is a bit yuck. Like, and it just sort of. It gets gets to a, sorry. No, you're right. It reaches a point. It reaches a point where it's like, I actually can't continue with this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Oh <laughs> I was like, I feel like we might be um, digressing, but um, I do I'm, that. I'm wondering. I do that. You've got to stop me. Are there people? Are there presentations that benefit more from this type of therapy? This is a fun question because I, I work. Given like a lot of my social media stuff and a lot of stuff I talk about is obviously at neurodiversity specifically. Neurodiversity is more than just autism and ADHD. So talking a lot about neurodiversity uh, on the whole, I work with a lot of uh, autistic people or uh, ADHD people, ADHDers, which doesn't roll off the tongue, but that is the <laughs> phrasing. The I work with I work in that space a lot, and it's probably the again the secret specialty, the the secret group. I call it the, I call it the the accidental specialty is people recovering from like mistreatment by previous therapists oh, wow. uh, who've given them who've like criticized or been just generally not nice to them because of what they're into. And I touched on this earlier, and it's honestly been like quite a few people. I worked with a few young people who the the first thing in the referral was like, we need we are coming to you because you don't seem like a like a professional and that's what we need because when i first graduated i when i sorry when i was working in my first job i was business pants buttoned down i'm looking nice for my business job yeah because i've come from bartending and construction and now i can look nice for my like my professional job and then i realized again that a lot of the young people I was working with only ever talked to people wearing business casual if they were lawyers or cops. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, not a good vibe. This is yeah. traumatizing. Yeah. I went to work the next day in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts, and it was rad, and I've missed, nice. I've never looked back. This is as professional as I tend yeah. to look. Yeah. Because I work with a lot of people kind of recovering from just poor treatment. Yeah. And it's not the therapeutic treatments. It's like the way they're treated as a person for having their interests. It's like, shouldn't you have grown out of this yet? I thought that was for children. And then the parents, like, you know, the reason they're depressed is because they play video games. And I'm like, no, the reason they play video games is to cope with the fact yeah. that they're depressed. Yeah. And it's the other stuff that's going on in their world. Mm-hmm. Learn about the other stuff. Don't just take it straight to the video games. Yeah, absolutely. They do. I mean, they are very much the, they just get whipped out to, to be used as a weapon almost for people. Yeah. So. Um, this will solve the problem. That thing I don't like. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess in saying that, you know, we, we do need to recognize that at times, you know, this can escalate into quite problematic behaviors. Oh, how, how do we, how do you balance that? Well, that's, that's the thing we talk about, like, like any media consumption, how much time are you spending on it? Yeah. And yeah, you know, there's a world of difference between the the person that comes home from like school or work and plays for a few hours versus. So back when I played World of Warcraft, there was a healer in our guild who was very. She was a great player, absolutely amazing. Had a lot of skills, had a lot of in-game money, had a suspicious amount of high-level characters. It takes time to get like high-level characters. We found out she was playing seven days a week, 18 hours a day. Oh my she was goodness. sleeping for maybe four hours a night and playing while she was at work instead of working. And I'm like, that's that's yeah. your gaming addiction. Yes. Yeah. That's your uh, that's your person putting in more hours than like the hardest job. Mm. That's your gaming addiction. But I've said, and it's kind of my own personal beliefs since I was 10 years old and told I played too many video games is and at the time i wasn't but it did as it did escalate for me as well but i kind of aligned myself with this idea that i'm not going to accept criticism on my 
the way I spend my free time from people who watch the same amount of television. Because Absolutely. it is all just the way the way we play games. Yeah. I have some notes on how some games, especially like some of these free to play mobile games, are nothing more than um skinner boxes pushing the button for the dopamine of the flashy lights and yeah. the ads for the microtransactions. I'm not a personally I'm not a fan. I do have some some notes on like ways the industry could improve mm. and games that could should be played over other ones, such as like I'd say Minecraft over any mobile game or the portion which should be taken with like Roblox, for instance. Roblox has a lot on it that is not suited for all audiences. And yeah. it would be, it's hard for parents and even professionals who aren't tech savvy to do like, all right, you've got to have the right settings of like the right social settings, right social privacy settings. So you're not getting messages from people you aren't friends with, but also the right kind of awareness from the grownups to know that some of the stuff on there is not appropriate for kids. And I'm not a huge fan of it for that reason is because it is for me more work to kind of supervise the appropriate content when a lot of the stuff on there is just some of it there is some interesting and some cool stuff on there but there's not enough of it to make it worth me ever recommending it to people so no yeah i mean and and it certainly is a really difficult space for for a lot of parents to navigate because technology Mm. changes so quickly and things get updated Mm. so frequently that it is, you know, understandable that parents feel overwhelmed and just feel like they oh, don't yeah. they don't know how to manage that situation. So the only thing that some of them can think of is, well, we just we'll just not let them do it. Like we'll just try and take it all yeah. away because it's just too overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. So but you know, it sounds like I guess part of the process of ensuring that something that you know can be just for entertainment or enjoyment and mm. and learning doesn't become problematic is that there's more mindfulness mm. about it and yeah. around the way that you utilize it. It's all about like responsible consumption. Yeah. But my one my one note and my one kind of it's not a criticism. It's just a note on anyone who's like worried. And this is I saw as a kid growing up something I see now as like a parent in and out, in and around the community and something I see as a professional is when you're trying to get your kid away from the computer, make the thing that trying to get them to go towards, make it interesting or make it relevant. Like I've seen someone recommend like, and this is not to disparage anyone's interests, but some of these, like some of the recommendations I've seen are just not easy to implement or interesting to them. It's going to be hard to get like the fifth, a fifteen-year-old who's really into like uh, Call of Duty to to do crossword puzzles, yeah, or or jigsaw puzzles or something like that. Mm. You've got to keep it like relevant to their interests, which is kind of what I offer with like Dungeons and Dragons. Is it's still nerdy? We're still doing stuff. It's still gamified, but it's in a group of people with friends. Yeah, there's community around it. Yeah, right, well, it can it can be in some of my groups we use are uh, the digital character sheets. Okay. So you get yep. like a sheet for your character, and this this piece of paper's got all your characters' information on it. And sometimes we'll use the digital ones if we're updating things or if we're changing stuff. Sometimes we'll use that. So there can be a bit of tech, which is fine for people who maybe need their phone as a fidget or as a distraction or to manage some anxiety, that's yeah. valid and I don't I don't have an opinion. But for the people, for the younger kids or the kids who don't have a phone or for the kids who don't want to be on a phone, there's still the physical stuff and play with some dice. Because I've got, my, got about 20 sets of dice people can use. Oh, wow. And they can just, they're fun to roll and to play with, but also it's fun to fidget with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is that sensory aspect that, uh, you know, that people yeah. would they would enjoy so i i guess you know how do your sessions you've sort of alluded to a few of the things but you know typically your sessions probably look very different to a stereotypical therapy session what is unique about the way that you work um honestly it's not the structure isn't different it's very much like because i I come from a background of doing dbt Mm -hmm. i learned dbt 
ChatGPT from uh, Lifeline. I did that in 2020. It's actually how I found my office, which is really cool. But it's the similar. You you come in. So I run a say running like a two hour role for growth session. We'll start at say, so say 12 o'clock, 15 minutes check in. How's everyone doing? What's everyone up to? Just a bit of a check in. How's everyone's week been? Do a bit of that community stuff. Depends on the group. Some groups like to get straight into it. Yeah. No preamble. Uh, but some, some groups do like to have a bit of a chat and a first. And then we play the game. And then we play often, depending on how the session goes, try to like end with a bit of a, hey, uh, like a bit of an epilogue sort of thing. So we get to about 10 minutes till the end and go kind of wind things. I was like, hey, you know, good work, like great teamwork today. Great communication. I like the creativity from like this response. Uh, this kind of analyzing the session and having a thought, seeing like some summaries could be made. Because it's really interesting if you look at communication and expressive storytelling through the lens of like the things people want to say or how they wish to see themselves. If you look at it as a power fantasy, without without the connotations that power fantasy usually like has, because it's usually quite an icky kind of phrase. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it as in, if you had magic, this is how you'd act. You can kind of see a little bit about what people are trying to tell you about themselves. Yeah. Especially when it's a repeating behavior or if they play multiple characters, but have all had a similar kind of backstory. There's, there's threads you can pull to learn something about this person deep down that maybe they don't even know about themselves. And I can, I can say I'm one of those people. The reason I'm a therapist is because I played World of Warcraft. Whenever I'm playing a video game, when I'm playing a video game with other people, like World of Warcraft, where I can, we work as a team towards mutual goals, I play in the archetype of a paladin. I usually have a big stonking hammer I can bop people with. I usually have heavy armor so I can protect myself, and then a shield and magic so I can protect other people and heal them. And I was working construction, and I was sitting there thinking, I can't do this forever. I want to get out. What can I do? And I was thinking to myself, how have I spent my free time? How do I spend my free time? Well, every day for about six hours, I pretend to be an elf, which I don't think is something that can make me money. But I also am an elf with hair, which is nice. But I'm also an elf that has special magic that can help people and heal people and like lift them up when they're down, sometimes quite literally, and kind of stand between them and danger and help make sure everyone gets to achieve their goal and i'm like well let's let's do mental health yeah that's how i'm choosing to spend my time is helping people and i kind of back to some of my happiest days in any job i've had were the days of like taking a moment to sit with someone be like hey what's up why are you why are you crying in the why are you crying in the walk-in freezer yeah i think that's i love when things just happen naturally and organically and it just sort of it that's when it works i i just think the more that um young people i feel like not just young people but even adults the more we can tap in to that imagination and that creativity Mm. side of us the more we learn the more we understand ourselves more because there isn't that rational logical aspect that needs to come into it where it needs to be Mm. you know socially acceptable or you know any of that sort of it doesn't need to make sense even you know and the ability and that's to sort of learn in that group format around communication and you know problem solving skills and all of those things that we tend to Mm to work on in therapy, but to do that in a really fun, you know, expressive, creative way is only ever going to amplify that, that sort of learning and growth period. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so many studies about play-based learning. Yeah. And we see like in, in the younger, in younger demographics, I guess younger age groups, we see like play therapy is the way to go. Yeah. I'm like, well, why does this have a stop? stop? Yeah. No, hey, why does it have to stop? Let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um. So we just run run these groups, and it's fun because you know one of the things that I see from like so many like adults is they don't take time to play anymore. And yeah. it, I'm not just saying I'm like the the thera- I'm not saying that there's the play the therapy is just playing. Uh, we're just like messing around, we're goofing. But so like there is something revitalizing about taking time for yourself to do something fun and if i make you learn a lesson along the way about like teamwork or anxiety 
that's what we're going to do because we can do that in these things. One of my D&D groups, so D&D being, again, for the audience, uh, being a collaborative storytelling game where a group of people come around to be characters in a story I've written, well, they're going to have to deal with a story where there's psychic vampires feeding on people's fear and anxiety, and the only way to fight them off is to use techniques to manage your fear and anxiety and as the game goes on they get scarier and more anxiety inducing so you got to get better skills so we'll be there and be like okay so you're gonna hunt the vampire cool sounds pretty scary (laughs) how are you gonna regulate yeah and one of them's like oh i've got um i've got a spell that can summon like a like an icicle and i'm gonna use that for tip i'm gonna hold it above my face i'm like yes amazing and we just do this yeah i think i mean and I think it was, or I might be meshing social medias here, but I feel like it was you that might have shared a post around like um, nonfiction being education and fiction being imagination or something in terms of like literature. That was me. Yeah, I loved that because I was like, you know, that's, uh, we often think, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, fake or it's not real. Like, let's put a positive spin on that because it's tapping into a part of our brain Mm. that often gets left, left aside um, as, you know, you'd turn a certain age and suddenly it's not, it's not acceptable to have made up stories and, and to, you know, play games and things like that. And yet there is this whole part of our brain that is thriving Mm. on imagination and creativity and it's not getting any workout. So, you know, there, there would even be an element of self-care to this sort of therapy as well. Well, that's one thing I'm doing at the moment is I'm running, uh, Again, spur of the moment idea, like late on a Monday night, running the Roll for Spoons program. And that's D&D groups for mental health work, for neuro- specifically neurodivergent mental health workers. And be like, how often do you just have fun? Be honest with me now. Yeah. How often do you just take a, take a time to do something fun and interesting and like cool for you? Mm-hmm. Let's run let's run a D&D group just in one of the, D&D, in one of the Facebook groups. And it's like, I'll run a D&D group. Let's do it. I had enough interest to fill three groups like within a few days. Oh my so just goodness. running it. And it's been some of the feedback I've gotten has been really amazing because it's something we don't do a lot as adults. But if we look at, I say this in like the nerdiest, most gothest way possible. But if we look at the culture of normal people, storytelling and parables, but there's for some reason it has to be related to a religion, a philosophy writer, or... Yeah something really depressing yeah like we can we can draw meaning from a lot of different things and we can draw inspiration from different things it doesn't have to be from a specifically like conventionally significant source yeah and i mean it makes sense that we can draw inspiration and meaning from these video games movies books whatever it is because the people who are creating them are drawing inspiration from real life yeah. things most of the time or their imagination coupled with real life experiences. So it's, you know, it makes sense that we can then utilise meaning and, you know, find a shared experience through this medium. This is my favourite part of the of all of the episodes, which is I ask all of you to think about a myth connected to what you do and and or the group mm. of people you work with that you want to smash interesting what are we smashing <laughs> what are we smashing it's a funny one it's a funny question because this is my favorite part of any mental health course is where we start busting myths and now that you've asked me for it <laughs> i don't have one because <sighs> i i am in i am in my little echo chamber of neurodiversity affirming therapists and so I don't have to deal with some of, like, yeah. the horrific things that are said by some other groups. Video games don't cause violence. Mm. <laughs> yeah. that That's the fun. That's the... I don't... Is that even still a... Is that even still a thing? Yeah. Sadly, are there still proponents of this? Yeah. I think it's like, sadly... I've, I've done a lot thing. of looking into this. Yeah. I've done a lot of, like, looking into this. And I've, like, done the reading. Because I anticipated a lot of negativity. 
when I started doing this, but I'm three years in and not one negative comment on my social media. I think sadly, I actually have a little still, resource for this. It still is a thing that people, particularly like mm. parents, are often the people who are, uh, are having those conversations and going, you know. I don't want it to bring out anger or I don't want it to bring out some other unpleasant emotion that that most of the time they just don't want yeah. to deal with because it's difficult. Well, one of the, um, so I remember doing some reading a few, like when I started doing this, I'm like, I have to anticipate this question and this myth that I've never bought into. Yeah. And I, I can see like most of the research, most of the research against gaming has come from like one special interest group in the States. Right, who are presumed who are presumably funded by like political groups who would profit from yeah. it somehow. Yeah, this isn't a myth of any particular group or presentation or style of therapy. But here's something that I've learned that I had to learn for myself, and that I hear other people saying about themselves, because this uh, this probably is a myth. I don't know the phrasing for this, but just because you didn't do well at school. Or just because you had to leave school or didn't finish school or whatever happened to you doesn't mean you can't do something. And it doesn't mean that that's the end. I was in young. My grades started to decline to not go to uni, to not, to not bother. I will never be let in. I got told to give up and maybe just like get a trade which is nothing wrong because i built railways for four years i'm not being disparaging i'm just reflecting social attitudes here you can do what you set your heart to and just no matter what other people tell you mm. you just need i'm not gonna say you can't get it if you don't if like you, you don't get it because that's not how the world works but don't let people tell you what you can't do yeah don't let the fact you finished you didn't finish school stop you from doing something because that's what I was told. And look at me now. I'm Absolutely. A, like a holding therapist. And yeah, because we're, we're told this, that if we don't finish school, like we can't amount to much because there's some sort of invisible test. But not school is not for everyone. Yeah. School is not for me. Whether it's the academic environment or the social environment, it's not for everyone. Yeah. But it, it doesn't have to dictate the way your future turns out. Absolutely. I think that that's and I think it is probably really sort of indicative of the the type of people that probably land in your groups and land in your office because you know they are often seen as you know the kids who are not pulling their weight in school or you know things like that because they're creative or they're imaginative and they don't do math or they don't do science and they don't do the stereotypical um, thing that school wants you to yeah, do. Yeah, you, you don't do the nerd thing. Yeah. You don't do the nerd thing. The one the one I see, the one I see and the one I revive like I vibe with the most is would overachieve if they applied themselves. Yeah. But my my note to anyone who's ever written that on a report is could they could they achieve if you created the environment for them to do it yes because this is as a fun fact we're breaking myths and we're telling fun facts something like 86 percent like it's some high percentage mm. in in the seven in the 70s or 80s of autistic slash adhd individuals who have jobs are self-employed because that is the only way we get the environment we need in which to just not even thrive, but survive in. And then we can thrive. Yeah. So that's that's my note on that topic is to like put the onus back on the adult of like if, if these young people like myself, like a lot of young people that I've met in and out of work would thrive mm. if given the right environment to do it. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the the basic things we learn in therapy is, you know, we create this room and we create the space for someone to think and learn and grow. Yeah. And let's see if we can provide that, that very basic uh, idea that Carl Rogers gave us to the, the other important parts of life. Yeah. Like teaching, like the, the workplace or the schoolroom, the classroom. Absolutely. I mean, and and I think it's important here to sort of note 
that you know we understand that teachers can only do so much oh yes oh a hundred percent the education system is unfortunately very faulty and not set up for anybody who is mm. not neurotypical and, and we're getting controversial you. today yeah, I know. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, no, I thought that teaching was my first preference. Yeah. Uh, when I, because I, I put it down to when I was leaving construction, I said, okay, teaching, mental health, or personal training. Yeah. And I talked to a bunch of personal trainers because I had access to them through work. They all talk, talked me out of it. Yeah. And then I was working at a supermarket with a bunch of qualified employed teachers. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me, like, they have to stay working a second job. Yeah. So for like financial reasons or for job security, because they're uh, employed only on like term or semester contracts. Yeah. I said that I can't, I can't do that. Yeah. So teaching was my first, was my first idea. Mm. And I got talked out of it by the thing, by the, the state of affairs in, in the industry. And I'm still in some of the, the Facebook groups about like teaching and homeschooling and learning about the industry. And it's, it's really sad yeah. that, We've got the future of like the world and more specifically the future of like Australia mm. and we don't invest everything we have yeah. into creating the best for them we possibly could. I mean, and I think it's probably has led into a really lovely way to end, which is find people who see your strengths and see them as yeah. strengths oh, and, don't, and don't turn your strengths and your loves and the things that you enjoy into somehow being a weakness or a fault in your personality. Don't settle, particularly for therapists, don't settle for a therapist who doesn't make you feel anything less than comfy in that space. Mm. Um, yes, I always sort of say, you know, yes, we might talk about things that might make you feel uncomfy, mm. but it doesn't mean there's still, you should still feel comfortable around me. If you don't settle mm. for a therapist who sees your unique sense of the world or your unique tastes in, you know, video games or anime or whatever it is as anything other than a strength in your personality. So I think that's probably a really great way to end it. Thank you so much. No this worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been it's great. Been great. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed joining us inside the therapy room. Thanks for listening. 